I think it's so important to just be willing to say, I know this is the right move for me. It might be a mistake and that's okay. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today I'm here with Jim Woods, who is a coach and a writer and author of two best-selling books. Jim, thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Yeah. I would love if you could take a moment to just share a little bit more about you and what it is that you do. Sure. I'm primarily a writer, which means working with other clients and freelance or just partnering with other writers and helping them as an editor or a coach, maybe maybe even just for support, kind of for accountability. And I've worked with so many different authors and writers and um, even making courses. And I just, I, I feel like I'm part of the creative community. And I love just kind of partnering with that, you know, with that mindset. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm really, really excited for you to be here and share your story today because I know you shared with me that you were an accountant for about 15 years and then went through your own dark night of the soul. So I would love if you could paint a picture for us of who you were before and what life was like before and what happened. Yeah. I grew up in Ohio and I I currently live in Ohio, near Akron, Ohio. And I went to school, the University of Akron, and I got an accounting degree. Well, my dad was an accountant. And I think like subconsciously, I just thought, ooh, well, my dad does this. I'll go do that. Because our parents are such a big influence on, you know, what we do, how we think. And I always wanted to go work for the FBI. But that never panned out. Like, literally right before I graduated um, college, I'm dating myself here, 9-11 happened and everything changed. And my only plan was to go work for the FBI. That was it. Because I was like 21 at the time, 22. I was like, yeah, I'll go do that. That sounds good. And I had no backup plan. So I just worked with my dad for a few years in the local little city here. And then when I was 25, we moved, I moved to Nashville, which was a big jump because culturally it's like Nashville is so yeah. different than, <laughs> you know, small town Ohio. It's like all of a sudden there's this big town and traffic and music and excitement. And um, it was just such a culture shock. So that was kind of where I was. And I was working for the city of Nashville as an accountant in the finance department and I never realized I was like discontent because it was the norm. Yeah. But literally about 2011, I realized I was bored. And at that point it had been about, I started there in late 05. So it'd been like six-ish years roughly. And then I worked in accounting all through college as well and after college. So about, I was about 13 years in with accounting and I just got bored and I realized I I remember this conversation like almost verbatim like it happened yesterday it was like a Wednesday morning and I was chatting with a co-worker just having coffee shooting the breeze it was something we would do like before work before things kind of picked up and it was early in the in his office and I was like hey what's what's that on your wall and he's like 
he's like, oh, that's, that's my number. I'm like, what do you mean your number? He's like, yeah, it's 342 days until I retire. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I think the number was even higher. I think it was about like 542. The number doesn't matter. But the point is he was just checking off the days, like until he could leave. And that was like a big inciting incident for me. Cause I realized it was like, you can do this until you retire. And I was 30 at the time. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do just this. I'm not going to do this till I retire. And it was so common, especially in government where it's like, this is what you do. This is the path that is laid yeah. for you. And I was just like, whoa, pump the brakes, <laughs> you know, hold up here. And that was, that was kind of one of those hinge moments. And from that point on, I was like, okay, something's got to change. And I'm not sure what. Yeah. So that's kind of the background right there for, you know, that big moment. Yeah. Talk to us. I would actually love to know before we talk about kind of your dark night of the soul moment, did you have any relationship to writing during this time? Not then. Not at all. If you'd asked me if I was a writer, I would have been like, <laughs> no, no. Um, I blogged before, like maybe 08, 09, but I, then I stopped. It was just for fun. I, I mean, it was like, I was more into guitar. I was more in, you know, more like guitar, I thought was my hobby. I thought that was kind of my passion, which in Nashville, it was a great distraction for me because every single person down there like plays guitar. And I, I really made that one of my like my focus, I was just like, oh, and my, my coworker, my little office where I was, he was buying guitars and selling them like all the time. And I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of fun. Let's just do that. <laughs> and that was my, that was my uh, creative release, if you will. Yeah. And I would play at home and stuff, but nothing with writing, like seriously, maybe a few blog posts here and there. I found this, um, this guitar video. I mean, I was so not really into writing. I was just kind of like dabbling sporadically. Yeah. That's why I would put it. Um, okay. But nothing consistent. And it was just wherever the wind took me on that. I was like, okay, oh, I'm going to stop for <laughs> a year and a half or two years. And Yeah. Well, I love what you shared about your story in terms of being in a field and working at a job and having this career path and having those moments of is this all there is? Like, is this really what life is going to look like? And I can relate to that so much. I went through my, my quarter life crisis when I was like 21, where I had that same 21. thing of like, oh my. is this it? Is this all there is? Is this really yeah. what I worked so hard to create for myself? So talk to us a little bit about how it grew from there and how it led to that nervous breakdown moment, as you called it. It really, that was the moment of, of discomfort. Okay. Well, time-wise here, I was, I was feeling pressure from so many places. Yeah. I had a new daughter. My daughter was like one at the time and our house was underwater, not physically, but okay. as far as the, <laughs> as far as the economy and we yeah. owed more on it than it was worth. And I was just like, I can't quit this job. I need this certain amount of money just for us to live. Was, was this, that was the story I just kept spinning in my head. I can't quit. My wife was home with my daughter who was yeah. one year old. And 
I really, really feel like that scene from Indiana Jones with the Temple of Doom, where they're like in this room where there's spikes come down and the walls keep getting closer. Yeah. I remember that point distinctively. I was like in the bathroom, just sitting there avoiding being in the office. Cause I was like anywhere but my cubicle, anywhere but my <laughs> office. Yeah. And I was just trying to avoid it. I was like, I think I was playing a video game on my phone or something. And I was just like, I can't go back. This is terrible. And I just remembered that image in the movie and I haven't seen that movie in years, but it was like, oh my gosh, this is so eerie. It's so similar. And at that point, my body just started rebelling against me. I believe it was first like just random aches and pains. And I can't remember what it was exactly first. I think it was like, okay, my arm hurts. Like, did I twist it? Was I carrying my daughter funny? Were we playing, you know? Did I lug too many guitars around? What was it? I had no answer. And then I felt like this pain in my side. And I was like, this is weird. And it was literally every morning I was waking up with more pains. And I'm like, something ain't right. This is really, really weird. And I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was like through the roof. And I was just freaking out. And this whole time I was like, well, I'll apply for other jobs. That's going to be the answer. I'll apply for all these other jobs. And I was like, there was an opening with the, I believe it was like the Department of Treasury. And it was like in Cincinnati for like bank fraud. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I want this. I want this. This will be good. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh yeah, that'll be it. And then I never heard nothing. And I spent yeah. all this time applying for that. And I was like, well, maybe I, if I just move to another you know, job, even within the city of Nashville, nothing. I couldn't find anything. And it was like, everything was just kind of compounding worse and worse. And it, it was just, it was really a nightmare. It wasn't though, until I started having heart palpitations where mm. my heart, like I thought I was having a heart attack. I'm 30. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? Yeah. And I gave up like caffeine, which is unheard of for a parent. <laughs> you know, I gave up caffeine and I still was having them. And I had them for months and months. And I went to the doctor and one person was like, well, here's some blood pressure medicine, you know, whatever. And I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. And I, I literally like went back the very next day. I was like, this ain't working. This I want to talk yeah. to another doctor. And they didn't really have any answers. And I was just like, okay, what do I do? What can I do? And my wife the whole time, she knew I was going through the, every kind of mess. And I was depressed too. I was like feeling more hopeless as all of this stuff was just piling up. And uh, my wife was concerned. She, like, she said she thought I was suicidal. I never felt that I was wanting to inflict yeah. injury. I just was like, internalizing a lot of my frustration and I never really I didn't go to a counselor I didn't talk through it with anyone I just was like stuffing it just stuffing everything inside and trying to find those distractions uh you know the hey we're, we made it to Friday it's Friday you know you get that little <laughs> boost of momentum um okay Saturday but then like come Sunday I would just I knew that Monday was coming and I would just be yeah. even cranky and it wasn't good. And I, I was searching everywhere I could. I was reaching out to people and it wasn't until I really 
started meeting with other people for coffee. I found this great little coffee shop and in Nashville, it's a pretty popular spot. It's called Crema. And I would go over there and I would just meet with other people and talk to them and artists, photographers, writers, just almost, it was kind of like my therapy, frankly. I think that was what it really was. And I, the more I started talking to other people, I kind of just, I was finding encouragement. And then I went to this conference in Nashville. I didn't know anyone there. It was called the Quitter Conference with John Acuff. He wrote this book called Quitter, where it was like, leave your day job and go to your dream job. And I was like, yes, that's exactly (laughs) what I want. And I went to that and I was having freaking heart palpitations the whole time through the thing. And I was like, this is messed up. I'm, I found, I kept trying to distract myself, you know, tap your foot, then you don't feel like you're having a heart attack when your heart's pounding. But I remember one part where he said, he's like, uh, his therapist said, well, what did, what did the voices in your head tell you? And that was a big moment where I was like, okay, okay. And they're like, you're too young. You're too old to pursue a dream. Um, You'll fail. You won't make money. And I was like, I don't even know what my dream is, but it's, it's kind of cool to hear all this. And I, I felt a lot of hope just from that one part of this, like three, four hour conference. I was just like, okay, so I'm going to figure this out. That was kind of my, my moment. I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And if you were to ask me, like, are you a writer? What do you like to do? I would have been like, I, I like to play guitar. I, yeah. you know, I, I would, I would have been like, but I don't want to just do that. That's kind of just for fun. And I'm not that great at it. It's just something I do. And that, that conference going to that in conjunction with meeting with other people and just talking to them, like artists and podcasters and all, like every day I possibly could, I was meeting with people. And now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, this was incredible because yeah. it's not that easy to meet with people. Like no. it's unheard of now in 2020 to meet with people for coffee three times a week in the same spot. And I was I, like, now it's so hard to meet with people, especially now in 2020 with COVID, but even just scheduling Zoom meetings, it could be hard to meet with people on a regular basis. So I... Uh, I kept learning from everyone else and just kind of realizing, okay, we're kind of all in this same boat together. And most importantly, I've got hope here. I can figure this out was the, the little story I started to spin in my mind. I can figure this out. I'm on the right yeah. path. If I just keep working on it. I can figure this out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I think you touch on something so important, which is having other people that understand where we're at and what we're going through. I would love to know, because for me personally, it was really challenging to find my community. And I've had different iterations of community as I've grown. But in those early years, I felt like I couldn't, I didn't belong anywhere. I couldn't find people to really deeply connect with. And a lot of that was my own growth that I needed to do. But I'd love to hear who were these people? Where did you find them? And what were your conversations about? In Nashville, there are so many writers. And so often it was like, we were all not far, like 
location wise they're like franklin tennessee there are so many different bloggers and entrepreneurs and also this entrepreneur center went in like right by my office i didn't think of anything of it i found it like after the fact but it was like i was in the exact perfect place at the right time i met a lot of creative folks through church i we were going to a, a church anyway and i just started to like talk to other people there i mostly writers i remember one conversation i had with like jeff goins he's a writer in franklin tennessee and he went to my church and i remember i was like really in that am i a writer phase because i'm like okay i'm trying to figure this out i don't know what it is i want to do but i'll give this a shot i'll experiment and i said i uh think i might be a writer i just kind of threw that out there yeah. And this conversation too is burned in my mind because he's like, well, Stephen Pressfield says you're a writer whenever you say you are. And I was like, ooh, okay. And I'd read Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. It's a pretty popular book for creatives where it's like, this thing is out there stopping us from creating called resistance. And that really stuck in my head. It's like, okay, so if I say I'm a writer, and if, especially if I show up and I'm writing, okay, I'm a writer. I can wave the I'm a writer flag and kind of push aside this image in my mind of you have to look a certain way. You have to have a cabin in the woods and you have a typewriter <laughs> and a pipe and a sweater. Yeah. Because all these silly ideas in my head were floating around like, I'm not, I'm not a writer. I don't, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> and that, that was kind of an extra little kick in the pants for me where I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep talking to as many people as possible. So many were also connected with Jeff or went to my church or uh, were c loosely connected to John Acuff, who yeah. had that quitter conference. It was like, once you find one connecting point, don't try to go invent a bunch of other connecting points. You know, I mean, you're not going to meet the perfect person to connect right. with. And don't put the pressure on yourself. And I, I, I have to admit, I'm even telling myself this today. Like, I was super excited and thrilled to talk to you, but I'm not putting the pressure. Okay, I'm going to talk to Stephanie and we're going to click and we're going to become best friends. You can't go in putting extra pressure on yourself. You just have to let a conversation go. And I was, I always, I've become more and more honest and like, just not too honest in the, oversharing like scare people off kind of way but i just kind of pulled down more of the curtain because like all my creativity comes from my own life and my own experiences and i yeah like what i'm going through is what i'm going to write about like i like prefer to be that transparent and some people can't do that but like people want you they don't want a censored filtered version of you and i think that's where like just even the conversation is like Hey, how's it going? Oh, well, I'm working on a website. It's so hard working on a website. Have you worked on a website? Like, yeah, I have. Have you tried this? You know, it just, yeah, it, it's eye-opening when you admit you're struggling with something. And that's, I think I wasn't opening with that. Like, that's not like the, hi, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm struggling <laughs> with my website. No, no, no. That's, that's coming up like 15 minutes after 
talking. <laughs> you, you know, you're not just, hey, I'm having problems with SEO. Can you help me? You know, that's that's like those LinkedIn requests that we get, right? You right. know, it's like, okay, buy this from me now. I just met you. Yeah. No, it, it was the natural, you know, conversation. And what you know, you want to try to make it even, try to make it very reciprocal and interactive, not a one-way street kind of thing. And I think that's what it was, or I just it was almost like it was almost creative entrepreneur school for me meeting with so many people there and if I wasn't meeting with them in person I would schedule a phone call and chat with them and like I was a networking machine the more I realized but I wasn't doing it in a forced way it was more like how can we both help each other how can we learn from each other and I do miss that Stephanie that's one thing I like a lot of my ties are still in Nashville. Well, yeah. this is six years later. I'm in Akron, Ohio now, and a lot of my ties are still in Nashville. And I'm, you know, still working on it more and more here in Ohio. Yeah. Um, what I guess what I'm saying is the journey never really ends. And I have to remember, like, those lessons I learned back then. Okay, keep doing what what you did back then. Don't try to reinvent the wheel and try to do things that aren't natural for you. Totally. So how did, how did writing start to plant its seed in, in your way of being in the world? Like you mentioned in one of your conversations, you said, I think I might be a writer. Where did that come from? Just the idea of looking back at what I did in the past, what I really enjoyed and I also found this file on my computer. It, again, it was just an experiment, just something that came on a whim, but I wrote this children's book and it didn't even take me long at all. I was like, okay, hey, this this will be fun. Just jot this down and like, totally on a whim. And I remembered too, back even in school where like when I first heard Edgar Allan Poe and read some of his stuff and I was like, whoa, this is really good. This is so different from everything else. And I just kind of, connected the dots by looking in the rear view mirror as opposed to you know making lots of assumptions that you know I can only go do this I can only do that I have a degree in accounting I'm I've got to do this and it was it was like taking a bunch of dots and then just connecting them or even a puzzle like I, ha I had a few pieces I was like okay Edgar Allan Poe, that's a piece. I wrote this story when I was like in fourth grade and other people seemed to really like it. And it, it was ranked for some national award. It wasn't even like a winner, but it was like in the top 10. And I was like, okay, let's put that other piece on the, on the puzzle board here. And all those conversations I had with everyone else, even if they're a photographer or a painter, it didn't really matter. It all kind of felt like stories to me or even just a podcaster, I would have been like, okay, this is a story. Okay, more pieces for the puzzle. And yes, I'd blogged before, but I didn't take it seriously. I thought, well, okay, what if I just try this seriously? What then? Yeah. And I think it was eventually you start to see something come to the surface if you put enough pieces down and keep playing with, him, with those pieces and turning them. And my number one love is story. It's not just writing, but yeah. I know I can tell more stories as a writer because it's like, 
I'm not, it's just, it's a, it's a pretty simple format as opposed to, you know, painting or whatever, but I feel like it's all stories. And that's, I think that I realized that's my number one love. And I think I kept reading enough things to, and not just blogs, but books. I think it was the reading and learning process. I was like, Ooh, I can help others this way. And it can be a quicker process versus, Hey, I'm going to become a photographer. Hey, I'm going to try this. I think it was just, I was like, okay, all I need, I have the tools now. And I even remember too, like when I was younger, before I ever moved away to Nashville, I would write lyrics and poetry on paper, like really late at night. And I would just dump all this out on a page and I'd written some songs and stuff. And I never called myself creative. And I never said, hey, I'm an artist or hey, I'm creative. But that was another big puzzle piece. That was probably a corner. You know, I put that down and said, okay, all right, if I add all this up, I think I'm a writer. Let's pursue that. (laughs) I love that so much. It's so, it sounds so similar to my journey. I, writing is like breathing for me now. I, I have to write. If I'm not writing, something has gone wrong and everyone should be worried, but I never would have considered myself a writer when I was younger, even though I can look back and say, I wrote a ton of poetry. I wrote essays before we had blogs. I blogged Mm. back when blogging was so community driven. Do you remember that? It was amazing. Like writing has always been a part of my life, but it's funny how we can't see it because we grow up and we become somebody and we start to fit ourselves into the world in the way that we think we should. We lose sight of who we really are. And when we can look back, we can start to thread that storyline for our purpose and, and how our purpose gets expressed throughout our life changes depending on what we're going through and who we are. But I just, I love that you share being able to look back and see all those pieces were there the whole time. What I also really love about your story is I think it's really important for people who are struggling with depression to hear. I know I struggled with depression quite a bit in my twenties. It feels so hard to be a person in the world. Like it takes everything that you have to get through the day And if you're depressed because you're not feeling fulfilled and you're not feeling like yourself, it's even harder to get through the day because you're doing all these things you don't want to be doing anymore. But when we can find those little things that start to breathe life back into us, we can start to get our footing again. And it sounds like meeting with other creatives and starting to embrace and entertain this idea that I think I might be a writer, it started to kind of lift you back up. Was there anything else during that time that really- I think it- I think it did lift me back up, but also taking a personality test was this form of validation because I really fit myself in the accountant mold. If you do something over time, it just becomes the norm. If you're depressed and unhappy or unfulfilled and you've been that way all along, that's the norm. And I took a a Myers-Briggs test and I'm not saying that's the be all and end all, but it was important for me because yeah. I really thought, okay, you're this, this beankeeper. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I kind of always knew, I was like, well, that's not really me, but I'm really good at pretending. I'm really good. I can, I can convince myself for quite a while, but that's not me. That's more a role I'm playing. And it said I was this INFP, which is, like 
the artist essentially I was like yeah. what? wait this is weird <laughs> and I was just I was blown away by that and I was like I remember reading it and I was just crying I was like this explains a lot if you're yeah. more wired for something completely unrelated at least that's how I thought I was like okay I'm a square peg round hole kind of thing in reality I don't view it as much as that as much as like well, you weren't using all those gifts. You weren't, yeah. on, you weren't intentionally creating. You were analyzing. You know, I wasn't telling stories. I was examining stories. And I think that's something we all kind of can get caught up in. It's like, it's kind of close, but not yeah. the right fit. And examining the stories. Like, I loved the one part of my job where I would dig into the invoices for the police department. And I was like, okay, this is scratching some of that itch. Like the investigator in me, the artist in me is like, ooh, you can piece together a story here. Ooh, look, they got all these busts over here at this location. <laughs> and I love that one part. That yeah. was like my favorite part of the, the job. It's like, ooh, all these petty cash things. Ooh, are there any crooked cops? I'm going to look at their money and see where they're spending it. And it's like, you can see hints of it there, but like, it's not... But then you throw in a lot of things I, I'm not engaged with, or, or then it's, it just, it piles up and then you stuff those feelings down. Yeah. But when you embrace your true self, like your real natural tendencies, it can change things a lot. It can change your perspective. And yeah. just talking to people, encouraging people, um, uplifting people. I wasn't talking to many Debbie Downers. And this is not an introvert, extrovert thing. It's not even a it's not even like, it's okay to complain, but I'm talking like, are you doing something about it? Or are you just going to rant? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's okay to, yes, I mean, we're all human. It's okay to complain and rant, but okay, then what's next? Do you do more of that? Is it like the potato chip thing where you, you just can't have just one, you got to keep doing it? Or do you say, okay, that's what happened. Here's what I do next. And I think yeah. that's where it kind of, I think that's what really jump-started me. Yeah, that's so important. One of the things we talk about in the journey mapping process is this idea of reorienting. And so as we start to become more of who we're here to be in the aftermath of everything we're going through, there's this process of reorienting not only to ourselves, but to our work and our relationships and our life. I would love to hear what that was like for you and how it ultimately led you into writing as a career. When you say reorienting, I I feel like that's that goes back to my brain goes back to the puzzle. It's like, okay, hey, remember all these things? And for me, it was being willing to talk about these things versus yeah. stuffing them. <laughs> um, you know, mention like I don't talk about it a ton, but I talk about it pretty regularly that I struggle with depression. That's like, look, you can do something about it because I think a lot more people struggle with this which can actually be a uniting thing and we can kind of bond together against it yeah. and make the most of it. Or we can kind of put it in the back room and try to ignore it, but it <laughs> doesn't work. And I think it was just embracing my love for story was the big hinge moment for me too, where it's like, okay, hey, you love stories. You do love to investigate. Let's pull together these things you really like. And I'm also, 
like I said, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty open book. Like any advice I ever given my coaching or anything, it's like, look, I've tried this. I'm not saying it'll work perfect for you, but why not try it? Give it a shot. You know, I'm always up for experimentation on things because I think being stuck is like, and being stuck is so challenging. And especially if you're not trying anything new, what do you think you're going to yeah. get? You're going to be stuck and just putting yourself out there. I, I have to laugh because my first blog that I took seriously was unknown gym, like unknown gym.com. And it was like, I had no freaking clue what I was doing. I was like, I'm trying to figure this out myself and just documenting the process. I changed that about a year and a half later to Jim Woods writes. I was like, okay, Jim Woods writes that I, I can, I can attach to that. I I'm a writer. This is me. This is my, this is my thing. But it's also important not to, to like take what you're doing as your identity. Like yeah. I could quit writing I'm not going to be happy about it. I might not do it professionally, but, you know, you can change things. You can mix things up a bit. I mean, I, I can see a lot of similarities between just writing and podcasting or writing and YouTube, because I, I really look at more as that umbrella of story. We all love stories. We're storytelling machines, really. I think that's the that's really where my heart is. That's where the target is in my mind on story. And, you know, it's, it takes guts to say, wow, I could go do something else <laughs> versus yeah. this is my thing. And this is all I do. I think it puts so much pressure on it. And it, after I had started taking, taking writing really seriously, I put out an ebook and I partnered up with a friend with that. I didn't like do it just on my own. I wrote the majority of it but a friend helped me like kind of fill in the gaps and it wasn't so much a, you know, a equal 50, 50 thing, but having that collaboration, having that um, group effort and having that partnership, really, that's what helped push me past the finish line. And then selling that book, that, that, in addition, the economy got better. That's how I ended up like breaking even on my house. And I was like, hey, we could move. We're not going to lose big money if we move. And it was like all these doors started creaking open and just being open to those possibilities. Like, okay, I didn't make a lot, but what if, you know, what if, what if at 1500 bucks I made from writing on this ebook? What if, what if I didn't even have to make that much? What if we were just better with our money what if we moved to a cheaper area hello mm -hmm. we moved back to ohio i mean yeah. that was a big part for us where in my own personal journey it was like just saying okay what if what if we try some of these other things and at at the end really where i kindly finally hit that road of like i gotta leave i can't take anymore i gotta put in my two weeks that was a really scary time. I wasn't sure. Yeah. I didn't know the next steps. I just, I came to the point where it was like, I can't do this anymore. I like, I, I just knew in my heart, it was the right move. And uh, we moved back to Ohio in August of 2014. And that was like, okay, done with one adventure on to another, <laughs> you know, and 
I literally landed my first freelance client like two days after I put in my resignation. Yeah. And I didn't plan all this out. I wish I could take credit and be like, yeah, I planned all No, no. I was like, well, <laughs> I had no words for it. I was like, all right. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it applies really good with the, your, with your journey map. It's like, okay, you're on a journey and there are going to be some really, really scary moments. And you can, you know, you can do nothing or you can do something. I think those are, yeah. those are the real two options. I mean, yeah, you can, um, you can obviously take wrong turns, but being willing to make wrong turns and saying, you know what, I, I have some faith that I can course correct that I'll make some mistakes. I mean, for me, the mistake of staying put in the, you know, quote unquote safe job would have been worse than yeah. failing as a writer. I think that, you know, I, what my, one of my friends told me like after I quit, after I put in my two weeks, like this is our farewell dinner. He's like, mm -hmm. well, he's like, at bare minimum, he's like, look, you'll be able to tell your kids that you took that leap of faith, that you didn't yeah. stay put. And I was like, okay, say so. I don't know. I, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, but you know, he was absolutely right. And I think it's so important to just be willing to say, I know this is the right move for me. It might be a mistake and that's okay. <laughs> Yeah. We talk a lot about choice points and journey mapping too. And that is such a huge one to take a leap of faith like that. And there's such a deep level of self-trust that you have to have, first of all, to know, like, yes, I've been sick at different points of this job. Like I've been sick of it at different points and ready to quit. But how is, how do I know this is the moment that I have to do it? Yeah. Like it takes such a deep level of self-trust. And I don't know if there's anything else, especially being a coach yourself, that you can share about that process, but also there's like a level of reorganization that happens within us when we take a leap of faith like that. Like it's not just, oh, I hope it works out. It's like we realize the enormity and the immensity of our decision and how much it's going to impact. And then I know for me, it always shifts like how I show up in the world. So I would love if you could speak a little bit more about that for your own experience. Sure. I think it took a while for the dust to settle <laughs> figuratively and literally on this with the move and everything. Not being alone was huge. My wife was united. She knew the path I'd, I'd went through or the journey I'd been on. And when it was all said and done, like I told you, it was 2011 where I was a total mess and like literally thought I was having heart attacks. It wasn't until June or until August of 2014 where I moved. And I learned so much during that time. That's where my empathy grew. That's where I can tap into it pretty instantaneously. Like you're desperate, you're feeling stressed, you're, you know, falling apart guess what? I've been there too. And now it's like, I can use that even as a gift because I get it. And I, I kind of put my characters through it. Even when I'm writing stories, it's like, look, yeah. this is that, that dark night of the soul, really challenging part of the journey. When I made that move, it was awkward. It was weird. Everything was new, but yet it was also 
a little familiar because I moved back home where I grew up. Readjusting, it just takes time. And it's, it's like, the more you show up, the more you keep doing something, the more familiar something becomes. Just be honest with yourself would be my like coach. I'm putting my coaching hat on. Be honest with yourself, feel what you're feeling and don't go alone. I think those are the big, big three things. Like being honest with yourself, like my honesty level and self-awareness. I, I sometimes laugh when I'm talking to my coach. I'm like, yeah, I know the problems, but I, <laughs> even if I know most of it, even if I know 80% of it or 90, there's still that 10, there's still that 20 because we're a little bit biased and we, we might not see that thing that's behind us. You know, if we're looking out in front, we might not see what's behind our ear. We might not see what's behind our neck, you know, but we can see right, what's right in front of our nose or our eyes, but that it's going to take some time. It's, it's good to get that ex, extra perspective. And that's one thing, Stephanie, where, you know, your, your services can absolutely help. And like, I, I feel like everybody needs a coach and especially like be aware of the coaches who don't have a coach. That's one yeah. thing I will say, because that's almost like saying, hey, look at me. I've got all the answers. I would never trust a coach who doesn't have a coach. No. <laughs> I love that. Talk to us about, so you got your first freelance client, which I love. And I feel like sometimes, not always, I don't want to say that when we take a leap of faith that everything always falls into place. Sometimes we need to struggle a bit more in order to become who we need to be to do the thing we're setting out to do. But oftentimes I find for myself and with friends and clients that when we take that leap of faith, we've realigned energetically with something else. And so all these other possibilities and opportunities open up. So you got your first freelance client, which is awesome. What happened from there? Did it grow quickly and organically? Did it take time? It took some time, but it, it was a good, slow process for me. Thankfully, it wasn't like, okay, now I need X number. Ah, it wasn't, it wasn't as frantic. And it was, a really good fit. It was the perfect fit for me because it was actually writing about some of this job stuff, which I was like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing fit. Hello. Yeah. Okay. And not just that, but it was, it was for rehab clinics. Well, this rehab clinic, it like has a hundred websites and they need content. And it was like, while it was one client, they needed a lot of stuff. And I was able to actually work with a friend that indirectly, just by putting myself out there and being helpful and connecting others, I ended up getting him that job. Well, he hired me later. Okay. And guess what? His boss, I knew her too. And I still talk to her to the, like every day now because we're, our journeys are like almost overlapping now. And <laughs> it's funny because just putting it out there, like you said, I think it's things just kind of align. And now you're looking back, you're like, what? Putting a book out there was a huge key for me to open some doors. Yeah. And I, I, that's one thing I'm, I'm, that's one thing I will say for, I think almost everybody should write like one book. Why not? Because so many people have, <laughs> say I have a book in me, but then they never yeah. do. The putting the book out there, that's what landed me another client. And I've never been the guy that has a lot of clients. I just like how I am wired. It really, I, I'm a loyal guy. I love long-term relationships. I don't want to have a bunch of 
small clients that are one-off here and there. I love to have a, you know, one client on retainer, you know, you can manage your expectations. You can do some of yeah. your own work. That's my ideal situation. And I, I worked with that client for like three and a half, almost four years, which is unheard of for freelance now. And uh, it, it's just, it's almost, it's funny because like, even right now I'm in the time of transition where I'm like, okay, who am I going to work with? Because things change with COVID. You, you just have to keep working and keep, you know, keep doing what you can mm -hmm. and ask the question. I've, I've been thinking about this one a lot, Stephanie. It's like, are you better than you were yesterday? That's a, like, that's my gauge. Like, are you better than you were yesterday? Don't compete with all these other people and all these, like, I can't remotely compare my coaching to yours, Stephanie. I can't at all because it's so unfair. It's like, right. we have different strengths, different weaknesses, different personalities. There's like a million differences if you really want to pick at it there. But if we compete with ourselves and only yeah. ourselves, it's like, oh, okay, I can, I can say, okay, I'm definitely better. I put up a video or I tried a podcast or I... I did the blog post. I did this email. I did all of these things. You can really start to see, okay, this is, this is some progress. I can't argue with the data. I can argue with emotions for sure, but like, you can't argue with the data. Right. <laughs> what would you say your relationship is to faith? I think it's really, it's really important. Beliefs are like right there. I've done the strengths mm -hmm. finder and I think beliefs are like, you know, go with what, you believe play to your strengths is something I often say I think my relationship with faith is really important I'm a Christian I my some of my thoughts I guess have evolved a little as I've grown as a person but faith and trust I mean that's that's right there with loyalty and that's right there with relationships and uh I think like Sometimes it can even work against you. I'll be honest. I, I had this conversation with a friend the other day and I said, well, if you're wanting something really strong and loyal and showing up and like being committed, that's a different mindset than many people who are like, hey, I need this. Check, check the box. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where for me as a, as a writer, it's like, I don't want to work with people who kind of treat me like, Hey, check the box. I'm, I need someone to come cut my grass, check the box. You know, like <laughs> it's like, I'm, if I'm pouring my heart and soul into it, I'm like, I'm going all in. And that's kind of how I always am. Like, I want to go all in. I don't want to be, you know, Hey, this is just whatever I'm going to, yeah. like, I, I want to pour everything I can into it and do my very best versus, Hey, just show up, do it check the box. I'm like, I've done enough of that checking the box in my, during my time as an accountant. I really want to pursue bigger, better things, help some people, encourage some people, give some hope, tell good stories versus the just show up and, you know, hey, I made X dollars today. I feel like our lives are too short to, I'm, I'm not in it for the money. It's not about the money. It's about the the stories and the relationships and helping and serving others. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you talked about this a little bit with all of the creatives that you met with. And then John Acuff, who I love, he's amazing and hilarious. Yeah. Um, 
but we talk also about the role of mentors a lot in journey mapping and how essential that they are. Were there any other mentors you've had along the way? There have been so many. And it's it's funny, like I told you, I'm really wired. Like I want people to be in my life, like long-term committed. But mentors often come and go. Oh yeah. And I've had so many. And sometimes it's like a mentor could be an author who passed away. J.D. Salinger, love his stuff, big fan, but he's been, he's passed away for a while and he was very antisocial. He wouldn't have been your mentor no matter what. Um, you can really soak up and learn from anyone, anywhere with, with all the resources that are available. I've had amazing experiences just meeting with a person one time and then like a couple emails and that was it. And I was shocked because this one person, I like, I was on the fence, Jim Woods writes, I don't know, unknown Jim. Uh, <laughs> I was busy overthinking it. I was like teetering on the fence. And he's like, he's like, you need to do some digging. He's like, he didn't, and a good mentor is not going to tell you what to do. They're going to be like, right. you know, they'll paint the picture like around the frames, but they're not going to paint the picture itself. And I was frustrated. I couldn't meet up with him again. He kind of kept blowing me off. And I was like, that I thought, you know what, take it for what it is. That person was my mentor for that specific season. And then, you know, I don't even know. I, I was like, okay, I thought he, I, I thought he wanted to see what happened next. Um, be willing to just, just be willing to learn <laughs> and to grow yeah. from that and move on. Um, but yeah, it's, even the clients I've worked with, I, I, I actually worked with John, which was kind of a funny dynamic. We became friends and I worked with him for a while and I learned a ton and I grew and then he didn't need me anymore. And I was like, okay, well, that was a great season where I could learn yeah. and move on because it takes some maturity where it's like, you can almost become a little codependent if you're like, oh, but I need you. I need you. Right. No, no, you, that's take take the good learn from the bad if there is some bad in the mix and just move on and yeah i think that is one thing i've even struggled with today it's like well how are you framing that one you know that person who kind of blew you off after you learned so much and grew so much from it i think that's where it's like okay where have i matured where have i you know gone to my past habits or whatever it's like well what story are you telling yourself it's not this person left me or abandoned me. It's like, no, this person helped me move from A to B. And mentors are huge. I feel like it's, I've never asked for a mentor. I just learned so much from a, a person for a, for a while, for a season. Yeah. And then I moved on. And yeah, you can find so many mentors if you really just soak it up and, you know, look at everything as an opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you refer to it as seasons. I do that as well. <laughs> um, oh, it's so important. Because everything's temporary and everything always changes and transitions. What is one thing, if you could go back and talk to Jim, who was deciding to go into finance, what's one thing that you wish you could have told yourself before all this began? Don't limit yourself. Don't stop yourself. Don't make big assumptions. Um, don't wait for validation. I think that's, I think that was a big one for me. It's like once, 
you get some validation, then we feel like this extra, like we've been knighted, you know, it's like, okay, move on. Now you're official. Don't wait for that because it might not come. And I never really, I never really got it. I had to go get it. Um, I remember an interview once with a client and I was, I was interviewing for a job and, and I, I didn't even get the job, but I was okay with it. But I remember a few times that like in the conversation after I already pursued being a writer, he's like, you're a really great writer. You're a really great writer. And I was like, what? Wait, hold the phone. What? What? You know, <laughs> like you're probably not going to get any approval or validation. Like until you're really in it for the long haul. And even if it doesn't come, it's kind of an opinion thing. So don't, don't, don't search for validation from others. Just kind of, you know, follow your heart and go get it. Yeah. I love that. So important. We're going to put all of your amazing information in the show notes, but please tell us about your books and what it is that you do and where people can find you. Cool. Thank you. I primarily write on medium.com. I'm all over that. Um, I write as well for Jim Woods Writes. That's my site, jimwoodswrites.com. Uh, I've written three books, uh, one of which is actually part of a course. First one is Ready, Aim, Fire. It's all about goals, getting goals step-by-step. Step. And that's so much of my coaching is really in there. <laughs> um, I also written the book Focus Booster because I feel like that's a real struggle, you know, amplifying our focus and really just narrowing things down. And it's kind of in that productivity realm, which is, it's just so important. I feel like productivity is one of those things that can affect so many parts of our lives. I also just love working with other writers and giving them good feedback, editing, and, you know, helping them get past their demons, because I think we all have so much baggage and issues and, you know, things that'll stop us from sharing stories and writing. That's one of my favorite things too, because I, I don't do it a ton. I'm pretty selective. It's like, okay, we have to be a good fit for each other and um, really just find each other encouraging and just working with a writer to, you know, put out their first book or maybe someone who's like, I'm not a writer, but I always wanted to write a book. Yeah. That's, you know, working with that person and making an outline and making that story in their mind come into the world is, is another thing I love to help with. But I, you know, I, people ask me sometimes they're like, well, what's your goals? What do you want to do? What's, what does the future hold? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, work with good people and tell good stories. I mean, that is my, that is kind of my, my two-step filter. It's like, yeah. I just want to work with other people that, you know, you enjoy being with, you know, where it's like this, even though this work is hard, we're having fun in the midst of this hard work. And, uh, you know, stories, stories definitely have some, some challenging parts in there. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here for your presence and your energy and all your wisdom. I so appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. 
Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.